Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. I'm curious to know if you have any examples of maybe principles that you have steered away from because you didn't like them or they didn't work. Um, you know, so it's tricky for me to phrase it exactly like that because I think that early on in my coaching journey, I wasn't thinking about it in terms of principles. I was sort of just facing, oh, I got to find the right drill or I got to find the right, um, phrase to say or something like that. Um, if I could look back on So I wasn't even thinking in terms of principles. But if I can look back on uh, how I coached 10 years ago, knowing, you know, and give and sort of put names to the principles I was using, one of them I would say is that um, I value, I value outward expression of discipline less. Meaning I used to be a coach that players come in and, you know, line up on the line and put, get your shirts tucked in and our bags have to be over here or, or this or that. And, um, that's something that I've, I, I've gone away from a lot more. Um, and I really, really prefer to handle discipline less in a group setting and more, um, on an individual basis now. And I really, uh, I used to favor things like, uh, hey, if one person makes a mistake, we're all going to run or things like that. And uh, I'm not saying I would never do anything like that, but I, I really try to handle all of that stuff more on an individual basis now. Joe, have you found that the like not being as outwardly disciplined about like you know, like you were saying, some of the the smaller things has that affected your team as a whole? Have they been less disciplined because they're not you're not on them about tying their shoes and that stuff? Um, well, I don't I don't think so. Um, although it's definitely possible, I'll feel differently about this in three years. You know, I, we're all just trying to find the right balance because I think this is not um, a maximizing equation. There are some things I think about our teams that we'd love to maximize. We'd all we'd love to maximize our ability to pass. We you know we'd love to. You can never jump high enough or hit hard enough. But I think there's a right amount of discipline and creativity. You know I, when you phrase them like that, they seem like infinite positives. But the uh, discipline taken too far becomes rigidity and creativity taken too far becomes recklessness. So I think both of those qualities, there's the right balance to be struck. Um, I probably, uh, but in accordance with that, I would say that I emphasize the growth of individual leaders on my team far, far more than I did. When I was 22, there was one leader on the team and that was me as the coach. And I directed everything. Um, and now I realize that's a limiting factor. And, you know, my experience coaching professionals is what changed that. Because at a certain point, I was coaching players who knew who 
maybe didn't know more about how to coach the game than me, but they definitely knew more about certain aspects of the game than me, or they may have had more uh, experience in a certain parts of the thing. So if I was the only one who could think, that was just not going to work. But what I found, uh, and the great thing about principles are they're universal. You know, one plus one always, always equals two. Um, I tell people this at camps, you know, I do camps and coaching clinics, you know, one plus one always equals two, whether you're learning it for the first time or whether this is becomes the basis of advanced differential equations and calculus. Um, so even, even young kids, 10, 11 and 12 years old can learn to have leadership within them. And even if you're coaching a 12 and under team, there will be an inherent little bit of a leadership there. And you can talk to a, a player on that team and say, well, we're going to go get this next water break. Um, make sure everybody comes back here quickly. And often, within a short period of time, within one practice maybe, but certainly within a couple of practices, that will become far more effective in my experience than the coach – 60 seconds for water, and then you're calling out water break and you're calling them in for water every time. When you can teach them to discipline themselves appropriately, and then you are constantly guiding the leaders on your team for how to do it correctly. Because the first time you tell a 12-year-old how to get the kids back on water break, uh, half the time they will forget your instruction and you'll need to remind them or you'll need to teach them how to lead their teammates. But it can be done, and I think it's far more effective regardless of the level it just took me getting to see you know players who were already doing it at a high level i guess for me to, to learn nice and you've you have coached at a variety of levels can you give us some examples of technique or strategy principles that apply uh, regardless of the level yeah i think the number one um where it's easiest to see it on is serving because serving is a skill that actually sometimes really the youngest kids can get the best at it. You know, you could find some 14-year-olds out there who can hit some good serves that would challenge even some high-level players. I'm not talking about they're going to step on ace people off the court. But uh, there's plenty of 14-year-olds who can hit a good float serve that can hit it low over the net and can you know hit it close to the sideline and make it difficult to pass. Whereas you'll see very few 14-year-olds who can play defense at a even collegiate level, much less professional level, um, or, or, or to set the ball at a, you know, a level like that. So with serving, sometimes it's, it's easier to see because they can get good at it earlier. But, I mean, that's a principle. You know, some of the, so some of those principles, the fact that serving the ball low over the net is more difficult to pass um, in almost all circumstances, unless you're catching somebody off guard, but you know, serving the ball lower than that is hard to pass. Serving a ball that has no spin is hard to pass. Serving a ball that um, goes in the space between players rather than right at a player, th- those balls are hard to pass. So, so those principles, to me, they're pretty universal. You don't need to teach twelve-year-olds how to serve any differently than for the most part, even elite players can be very similar. Now, they're not going to be as good at it. They're going to be way less consistent and less powerful and stuff like that, but they can be learning the same principles. Um, 
And I think um, another one is, you know, this is maybe a little less specific, but the principle of you want your technical movements, you want your movements to be as simple as possible. Now, they need a certain amount of complexity or you're not moving your body at all. But um, wasted motion is wasted power. So what you find is actually that beginning players do way more than elite players. I mean, they're flailing all over the place. They're taking 17 steps on their approach. They're doing all this extra stuff. And they're just leaking power out of their body left and right. That's why they generate zero power. And when we watch elite players, we watch you guys out there on the beach, um, you're going to just see an incredible level of efficiency. You're going to see very little wasted motion. And then we're going to see an incredible amount of power. So, um, so that's often and – and, and that's actually been a really valuable thing for me, the fact that in a given year, I'll, I will get to coach professionals and I will get to coach 11-year-olds who are playing volleyball for the first time. And seeing the differences there, like just seeing from level to level what like the, the trend line – that can really inform. Um, that can really inform coaching at all levels. Joe, got a tough one for you. I know we've talked about a couple different uh, skill principles. Since we haven't talked about hitting yet, I'd like to hear some principles about hitting. And I'd like to see. Can you um, give us maybe an example of a drill or a game you would use to teach a hitting principle uh, at both a juniors level and maybe a professional level? How you would shape the drill differently for those different levels? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the first hitting principle that I'm going to say this is going to just sound like the dumbest thing ever, but or the most obvious thing ever. But uh, we want to jump high, we want to hit hard, and we want to do those two things consistently. And that's kind of like, yeah, no duh, of course that's what we want to do. But I think it's important to remind players of like you never want to assume you, you're always as good bet as a coach to assume less. Most of a lot of the mistakes that we make as a coach are assumptions. So sometimes when we start teaching a player about how to hit it, you know, how to take an approach, Hey, this is why we're taking this many steps on our approach and we're going slow to fast or whatever it is. Sometimes as coaches, we just assume that a player will understand, Oh, this will help you jump higher. But I've often found, and especially with beginners, more advanced players understand. They see where you're going. You start teaching them something, they tend to see where you're going with it. But not always. But not always. They may have assumptions that are blocking them too. But especially beginners. Hey, who here would like to be able to jump higher? Of course, everybody that plays volleyball would like to be able to jump higher. Okay, well, if you want to jump higher, what are the things that we need? We need momentum. We need to have both feet underneath us um, to plant and jump higher. Okay, we need to have an arm, double arm lift that's going way back, and then our arms are swinging really fast on the way up because the faster that we swing our arms, the higher that we'll jump. Um, so I know that sounds like the most obvious principle ever when we hit, but we want to jump high, we want to hit hard, and we want to do both with consistency. And then the other principles are going to sort of build off that. So in order to do that, we need timing and momentum. It's a difficult part about hitting is that we need both. We need timing and momentum. If there was no momentum required, 
we could just we wouldn't need an approach. We could just stand where we expect the ball to be and then go jump up and hit it like they do at the backyard barbecue. But of course, we know we need more momentum than that, which also makes the timing really difficult. <clears throat> so we need to teach players. We need to have timing and momentum. So we need to have parts of our approach and parts of our technique that are going to build up the maximum momentum possible so we can jump high and hit hard. We need to have aspects of our technique that will help us regulate our timing. So it's not going to come just magically. Timing is not just, it's not some uh, nebulous element. We need to have a link between our steps and when the setter touches the ball. That's how we control our timing. That is a revolutionary moment for a lot of players. Oh, if I start my approach um, on the same step, that makes me easier to set. That makes my timing easier. Yes, of course it does. <coughs> and then the third one is simple is better than complex. This is like the, you know, this principle that applies to everything. But simple is better than complex. How that applies to hitting is all the wasted motion that I do is power that's not being transferred to either my jump or to the ball. So um, when I'm doing extra, you guys have seen hitters who, you know, they're usually more with guys. You know, they'll do this little um, shoulder dip where they, they're taking their approach on the left side. And they kind of almost turn their shoulder away from the setter. And then they, before they start going back, it's kind of this, I don't know, it's a little indirect approach. They're losing power into their jump. Or hitters who don't have their arms go like straight back, they kind of go out to the side a little bit, or they cross a little bit, or they um, raise their arms up and bend their elbows or some different things like that. All that wasted motion is, is losing your power. And also it's creating a more complex motion that's a little harder to time. Now, can you time a more complex thing? Yeah, of course you can. Of course you can time it. And especially if you practice it enough, you know, if, if, if any technique or habit, if you practice it enough, you can get good at it. Um, but I think the simpler we can make things, the, the less wasted motion we have, it's going to uh, be easier to have the timing. And we're going to have the opportunity to make it more powerful because we're not losing power uh, that's not being transferred to our jump or to the ball. Um, and so those, so those are three guiding principles there. And um, what, what you asked me for was uh, examples of, of some drills to teach that. Um, I mean, they're not going to be very exciting drills because, um, you know, I don't, I don't really love to teach it that way. But for me, the most basic thing, I mean, for, for beach players, this is just what you do. Um, but for indoor players, so many indoor players, um, I think they, they just, they tend to learn spiking. Hey, let's get ready to go hit. Where does everybody do? They go run off the court. They go run off the court over on the left side, five feet off the court or wherever it is. Um, and I think that they're losing so many critical timing elements. Um, so what I love is just, I call you know, in the indoor, I just call it beach hitting, for you guys, you can just call it hitting, you know, where there's um, the setter has the ball. And for really beginners, it needs to start with a toss to the hitter. But if they're a little bit better, they can hit a down ball. But yeah, setter just hits a down ball to the partner and the passer passes it to the setter and then goes and hits. 
And um, what a lot of beginning players really need, and, you know, so we're talking beginning level here, is they need to pay attention from the pass to the setter because they need to a beginning player you're going to say take your first step you know especially in indoor take your first step of your approach as the setter sets the ball be on your first step and they're just going to set you a high ball and you're going to go and just even when i'm i'm saying beginning players i could very well be talking about high school varsity players here too um who have never really thought to watch the pass go to the setter and start their approach in accordance with when the ball arrives at the setter's hands and have like a conclusive link to it beyond the first step. Um, something like that. Um, so for, for often for players just doing that. And when you remove some of the, some of the other element, you know, okay, we're not going to have too many other things involved in there. When you just have that element, they, they just start to learn that I have to pay attention when the ball is being passed to the setter. And for whatever reason, I, I think that kids learn it best when they're the one passing. They're just more engaged in that rhythm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when they get a little bit of comfort level with that, um, and for some it's only, they only need a little bit, then you can start, maybe they're passing and they have to go hit, or maybe somebody else passes, you know, for indoor players, somebody else passes and then uh, I go hit. Uh, but just the act of paying attention to the ball. And and this is when we start training higher level hitting. Of course, this becomes uh, incredibly important, but we need to have way more stuff going on because now this is not, um, this is not a, uh, it's no longer challenging enough. But what's interesting is um, very often something that is a warm-up drill for an advanced player is often a good training drill for a beginning player and vice versa. So like just basic hitting on the beach, basic warm-up hitting for an advanced player, that's just a warm-up. But for a beginning player, that's like a real training drill. And then the advanced player needs more stuff going on. They need, you know, there's this term in motor learning, contextual interference. That just means stuff going on, meaning they need more things to have to process because this becomes the difficulty as we get advanced, of course. We need to be able to process more things. So advanced players need to do the same thing, but against a block. And they need to do the same thing, but against a block and with the court constrained so they can't hit everywhere. Now they can only score in a certain part and it's more difficult. Or, um, you know, vice versa. Or the setter's deliberately going to give them uh, a, a set that's either good or too tight and they need to see it come out of the setter's hands. Or they're going to deliberately give them a set that's good or too far inside and you need to see that so you so you just add on and add on i'm a big fan of trying to have um uh, for like okay trying to have a drill that i could take from the most beginning player to a very advanced player um by just by sort of just adding or subtracting the the elements that are involved in it um and what that really helps is then that helps you as a coach focus on teaching because if I don't need to think about like always designing new drills, just think about what's the teaching element that needs to be in place for, for what I'm trying to uh, teach this player. Are there uh, any principles that are uniquely Joe that you don't see other people doing? Oh, man, probably not. I, I, 
probably even the things that I would think that are that are unique, I just can't remember who I stole them from. <laughs> yeah. I've I've had the really, really good fortune in my life to be around a lot of good coaches and, and a lot of good people, um, including you guys who I've learned from as well. Um, you know, I, I just I grew up with my parents coaching, with my older sister, who is one of my biggest coaching mentors. You know, we lived together for a few years and we were coaching club and and all of and running camps and all of that and and uh you know so just kind of from the start i had great coaching mentors who i could learn a lot from and uh you know whatever i didn't learn from the, those people you know my coaching mentors um i learned from reading or from other subjects you know i i think there's a lot to be learned about coaching from other topics other other than coaching and uh, you know that's occasionally a valuable research because or just a valuable resource because we can uh sometimes we can get in a little bit of a rut with our coaching so sometimes it's good to to uh kind of enhance our creativity by looking at other subjects uh, joe um i'm reminded john kessel always challenged us to uh, come up with a coaching philosophy that you could uh, espouse in three words i'm wondering if you could give us your three word coaching philosophy and if you can't and you haven't given enough thought or, or time, maybe just a short sentence. I never given thought to a, a three word one, but I'll try to see if I can take up the challenge here. Um, <laughs> I would say, Oh, let's see. Could I get this down to three words here? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'll have to maybe do a little explanation, but for my best three word, I would say coaches are teachers. Hmm. Um, because one of my overriding beliefs, I and so that's really helped my coaching, is to understand that as a coach, I'm a teacher of the game of volleyball. Um, and maybe, maybe if I'm lucky and I have a good relationship with a player, I can teach some some things beyond the game of volleyball too. And I think a lot of non-teaching elements about coaching. There, there are non-teaching elements to coaching. And I think the, those tend to get glorified, like in our pop culture. You know, um, when you're just – when you're watching the NFL on Sundays, you know, you don't often – you know, you hear about the – um, the game time decision. Oh, did they go for it on fourth down or did they kick the field goal or did they punt or what, what did they do? Like you hear about this like tactical decision or you hear about some X's and O's, you hear about some system, but you don't, you hear very little about what those coaches taught those players. Um, and when you watch a sports movie, it's the same thing. I mean, sometimes you do get the often way too sappy life lesson that gets taught in the coaching, you know, but often it's it's you don't really see those lessons. You hear the, you know, the secret play or the come from behind strategy or this or that or or usually you know the coach uh, having some inspiring locker room speech that gets everybody fires up and wins the game. Um, but I think that for me the most important thing is just to remember that as a coach I am a teacher, and uh, what what am I teaching these players because. They're learning something, whether I'm intending to or not. Uh, they're learning from me all the time. And I just, I, I want it to be uh, the right stuff. 
You're telling me the movie Little Giants wasn't valid with Rick Moranis? The, the annexation of Puerto Rico <laughs> player? Isn't it what I should be? The annexation of Puerto Rico. That That's was legit. Okay, okay. Thank you. We used to race our bikes down Cherry Hill every day after school. We'd race every day, and he'd always beat me. But one time, one time, I beat him. You beat Kevin down Cherry Hill? Yes, I did. He ate my dust. Big deal. One time. You know, one time at Randy Cooper's swim party, I did a backflip off the high dive, and my brother chickened out. Roger chickened out? He's a Marine. Aw, oh, that's nothing. One time in Spring Carnival, I beat both my brothers in the cow dunk toss. You beat Matt and Brad in the turd toss? You know, one time I went fishing with my entire family, and I was the only one that didn't throw up. So what? That still doesn't make us good football players. Yeah. Wait a second, guys. Whoever said you had to be good to play football? You play football because you want to. You play football because it's fun. You play football so you can go out there and pretend that you're Joe Montana throwing a touchdown pass or Emmett Smith going for a long run. And even if those Cowboys are better than you guys, even if they beat you 99 times out of 100, that still leaves one time. One time. Yeah. One time.